0: Welcome to this podcast by City Point Church, Redcliffe. We are so happy you could join us and pray that the following message will encourage and empower you. All right, well, here we go. I'm excited to bring the Word. I'd love for you to turn your Bibles to the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament. Daniel is one of my favorite Bible characters, and the book of Daniel has to be one of my favorite books of the Bible. This guy... (laughs) This guy, this guy really is a picture of who we're meant to be in our generation now. We are in days similar to what Daniel faced. And before we get into it, I kind of want to put something out prophetically. And that is that I believe that we're going to come into a time where we see a release of kingdom solutions into impossible situations in culture. We're coming into a time where we're going to see kingdom solutions. We're going to see redemptive solutions. So the definition of redemption is the action, listen, the action of regaining or gaining possession of something. It is the action of saving or being saved from error or evil. Now, we know Jesus came as the Redeemer, which means that he bought back, and he saved, and so every impossible situation has a redemptive solution, and I believe, as I set this up, that we are actually coming into a time where the church, that is you and me, are going to be the ones who bring redemptive solutions into what the world calls impossible, or what we see as impossible in culture. Even in a culture that is vehemently opposed to the kingdom, we're going to see kingdom solutions brought into it. Even in a culture that is vehemently opposed to Jesus, we're going to see redemptive solutions, the buying back, the regaining of culture through the church. I believe that we're coming into that time, that we will be an answer to the world's problems. And so the title of my message tonight is culture setter. Being a culture setter. I want to ask you, is it possible for you and I as Christians to set the spiritual tone of our culture? I believe the answer is not only yes, but that's what we're called to do. The answer is absolutely, and that is our calling, is to be culture setters, to lead redemptive solutions in our culture. And so the book of Daniel is about this young guy. He was a teenager. Him and three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who's been to kids' church and knows all about them, right? It's okay if you haven't. I hadn't either, all right, when I became a Christian. But Daniel and his three friends, along with all of the finer young men of Israel, were violently abducted from Israel, from their home by a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Can you say Nebuchadnezzar? And King Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. Can you say Babylon? Now wherever Babylon is mentioned in the Bible, it represents the world system, all right? So see this picture with me. Daniel, a good Jewish young man, Hebrew young man, raised up under the um, teaching of of the Lord, is violently abducted from the things of God and placed into the system of the world. Him and hundreds of other young men out of Israel were placed into Babylon into three years of training. And so they're literally being reprogrammed, hello, into the system of the world. Hello, anyone here go to university? And all of you laughing know what I'm talking about. It literally is like Nebuchadnezzar putting me in Babylon and reprogramming me when I go to university. Programming into the world's code. And so they're in this training for three years. And part of the training is that they need to take on the diet of Babylon. They need to take on the culture of Babylon. They need to take on the thinking of Babylon. All the different cultures of Babylon. And so apparently, though, Daniel decides that he's going to honour pre-existing commitments and he refuses to eat what he's being told he needs to eat in this training. And he says, look, can I just be exempt from eating off the king's table? And we're talking wine and roast and chocolate cake and all the richest foods. He's like, I'm going to abstain from that. Anyone here heard of the Daniel fast? The Daniel fast is literally beans and lettuce. Like it's just green stuff. And so he says, I'm going to forego all of that and I'm going to honor a previous commitment. And so the eunuchs, the guys who are in charge of all these young men, are really concerned because their necks are on the line. If Daniel starts to look gaunt and depraved, then they lose their jobs. And so they're like, Daniel, we're not so sure about this. And he goes, look, just try it. Just trust me. And at the end of like a testing period, it turns out Daniel is healthier and more alert and more switched on than any of the other guys. And so they're like, oh, okay. But in Daniel 1 verse 18, Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's finest food or the wine which the king drank. So he asked the commander of the the officials if he might be excused so that he would not defile himself. And at the end of this trial period in Daniel 1 verse 20, listen to this, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, the king found them, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be 10 times better than all the learned magicians and enchanters and magi in the whole realm. Not just better, ten times better. Ten times better. And so we see them go, okay, you can carry on with that then. That works. That's fine. Go ahead. And so as the story goes on, Nebuchadnezzar starts having these dreams. And so the king has these dreams that no one can interpret, And so the king has this whole cohort of people who he pays to interpret things like dreams. And no one can interpret his dreams. So he gets really frustrated and he says, that's it. I'm going to kill the lot of them. What good are they? Daniel hears about this and he puts his neck on the line and he's like, let me have an audience with the king. I'll interpret the dream. I want to tell you, he didn't have an interpretation, but he knew God could give it to him. And so Daniel hears about it. He gets an audience with the king and he interprets the dreams and gives all the glory to God. Daniel 2:27. Daniel answered the king and said, "Regarding the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither the wise men, the enchanters, magicians, or the astrologers are able to answer the king, answer the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the later end days." And uh, this was your dream and the vision that appeared in your mind while you were on your bed. And so he actually goes and he interprets the dream. And the king is impressed. He's impressed. And so he promotes Daniel. He rises to the top through wisdom and integrity. Daniel also requests the promotion of his three friends. So the four of them get promoted. They become statesmen and counsellors to an ungodly king. They then, Daniel then went on to serve under three ungodly kings in Babylon. Three ungodly kings in Babylon Daniel served. The whole book of Daniel is an account of his whole life. There are seasons of silence in the book of Daniel where we kind of go, where's Daniel? We don't realize because for us it's a full stop. For him it was 20 years. That full stop represented 20 years. (laughs) I want to say to someone here tonight, you're not forgotten. You are not forgotten by God. That full stop slash 20-year period of your life, God is still present and still at work. And so we see after a period of silence, there's this new king, Belshazzar. Can you say Belshazzar? This guy was a party guy. And so he's throwing this huge banquet, And this writing starts appearing on the wall like a supernatural hand is writing on the wall. And again, no one can interpret it. This is like 20 years later and someone in the court goes, hang on, I remember a guy, a guy who can interpret stuff like this. I think his name was Daniel. So they send for Daniel and Daniel comes in and he deciphers the writing on the wall. And so he gets promoted again. And what we need to know is all the way through Daniel, every time he brings a redemptive solution, he brings glory to God. He always, even though it's vehemently a culture that is opposed to God, he gives glory to God and he walks in a confidence saying, I'm bringing a redemptive solution. You need this solution, but you need to know God has given you this solution. And so he gets promoted, and it comes to a place where he's promoted over and over again. Who knows that his peers are not overly excited? Now, our three friends are great, but everyone else is intimidated. Who's this guy getting promoted all the time? And so they start to sabotage his career out of jealousy. They trick the next king, King Darius. They trick him. Because they know that they they need to frame Daniel. They need to take him down somehow. And so they also know that Daniel prays three times a day to the God of Israel. Three times a day, he comes back to his chambers and he prays to the God of Israel. So they trick King Darius because flattery goes a really long way. And they go to Darius and they're like, you are awesome. Have we told you lately how awesome you are? And he's like, yeah, I am pretty awesome they're like, because you're so awesome, we think that you should set up a 30-day decree that says no one can pray to any other God but you. You're that awesome. And he goes, that's a great idea. And so he signs this decree, even though he loves Daniel, he doesn't realize what he's doing, he signs a decree to frame him. And so Daniel actually hears about this decree and guess what? Takes no notice of it. He took no notice of the decree. Daniel 6 verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, he went to his house, now in his roof chamber, with the windows shut because he was freaking out. No. With the windows wide open towards Jerusalem, he continued to get down on his knees three times a day praying and giving thanks before God as he'd been doing previously. And so the other jealous leaders catch him out. They knew this would work. And they drag him in front of Darius. Darius realizes that he's been set up. He loves Daniel, but he can't go against his own word. And so he has Daniel thrown into the lion's den for a night. And it says that the king was nervous all night and actually interceded for Daniel all night. This ungodly king was praying that Daniel would be all right. And in the morning finds Daniel fine. He's sitting there in the lion's den and Angel had been in there with him and had closed the mouths of the lions. And so he gets Daniel out and what does he do? He throws in the guys who had framed him and suddenly the lions are hungry. And they devour these guys. And so Daniel again gives honor to God and King Darius then returns honor to God and says, this is the true God. All of my nation, you need to know this is the true God. And so God uses Daniel as a mouthpiece, as a redemptive solution. He uses strategic moments of persecution and hardship in Daniel's life. And Daniel speaks up for the voiceless. He confronts prideful kings and he restores a nation over and over again. And so Daniel, although he was abducted as a teenager, maintained his position as a redemptive solution into an ungodly nation all the way through his life. I want to ask you, is it possible to honor an ungodly code without compromise? Is your boss a Christian? Maybe not. Is it possible for you to honor your boss without compromising? Yes, it is. In fact, that's what we're called to do. This isn't meant to stay in these four walls. We come here, we're equipped, and we go out. And we are God's redemptive solution in the world. And so I want to talk today about learning from the life of Daniel how to be a redemptive solution. And like I said, these are two thoughts, two, I guess, standards that I've adopted in my life on how to be a culture setter, how to bring redemptive solutions. The first one is we need to live with an excellent spirit. We need to live with an excellent spirit. In Daniel 6 verse 3, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. He had an excellent spirit. And when I look at how Daniel had an excellent spirit, two things, two thoughts jump out at me. The first one is he was a problem solver. He was a problem solver. He worked with the spirit to understand divine strategies and wisdom and insight. He called on the resource of heaven to be a problem solver. Listen, Anyone can be a problem seer. Dear Jesus, there is a fair share of problem seers in the world out there. Not talking from experience or anything. There are a whole lot of people who can tell you what's wrong. There are very few people who are problem solvers who see something that's wrong and they themselves take responsibility to be the answer. And to have an excellent spirit requires that I be a problem solver, not a problem seer. Opinions are like armpits. Everyone has them and they usually stink. There's nothing special about a person who can point out what's wrong. But there's a whole lot special about a person who says, I know what the answer is and I'm going to be the answer. Oh, my word, the amount of times people will come and say, when is the church going to do this? Excuse me, friend. Last time I checked, you were the church. The fact that you have a conviction about that tells me it's your responsibility. To have an excellent spirit means I am going to be a problem solver. And the second thing about being a problem solver in the kingdom is that we give glory to God. And he kept giving glory to God. He was the one that was standing out, but he deflected it and kept giving glory to God. That is an excellent spirit. Greatness is on the other side of inconvenience. Greatness is doing what everyone else is avoiding. If you do what everyone else is avoiding, you stand out. If you do what everyone else is doing, you don't stand out. Greatness is always on the other side of inconvenience, not this side. We all want greatness, but not everybody's willing to do what it takes to get it. Problem solvers. Problem solvers. You know, we were in youth ministry. Uh, We used to demand, actually, we had a standard of our leadership team that they were either studying full-time or earning a full-time wage. And we did this because we decided if we we were going to have leaders speaking into the lives of our young people, they needed to be people that the young ones could look up to. A standard. A standard to look up to. An excellent spirit. The church should be filled with people who are leading their own lives. Who are diligently valuing the influence that God is calling them to have in their generation. A culture of excellence is not a culture of perfection. It's a posture of the heart. And when you become this person, you'll stand out from the pack and you'll gain favor. You know, we had this friend who went to the army and, uh, and he was just one of the new recruits and they're sitting around in their platoon and, and doing a leadership lesson and, and uh, the big guy, let me get the name right, The lieutenant (laughs) asked them all to define leadership. And so they all, you know, textbook answers. All the textbook answers. Leadership is influence. Leadership is this. Leadership is authority. Leadership is power. It got to this friend of ours and he said, well, leadership is four things. In leadership, you're responsible over people. You're responsible across to your peers. You're responsible with people. You're responsible to your superiors, and you're responsible for yourself. And so that's actually the most important leadership is self-leadership. And so at the end of that, the lieutenant dismissed everyone except this friend of mine goes, where did you learn that? And he said, well, I learned that in church. It's we, what we learn in church. And he said, you know, I have never in my whole career come across a new recruit with that level of understanding about leadership. I want you to understand and recognize that what we get taught here in the house of God, equips us for out there. It sets us apart for out there. It makes all the difference for the world that God is strategically placing us into. Never underestimate what you're receiving here in the spirit and the spirit alive in you then becomes a supernatural advantage. In your workplace, consider right now your work environment, you should be an answer to your boss's problems. Okay? I did not say you should be one of your boss's problems. You should be an answer to... Hey, hang on. Even if it falls outside your job description. You be... The redemptive solution. You be the one that brings the kingdom of heaven into your boss's life. Make their life easier. Listen to their suggestions and take them as orders. Do your job with excellence. Do you know the voice of the flesh speaks the language of laziness? The voice of the flesh speaks laziness, but the voice of the spirit speaks excellence. It speaks of the second mile. It speaks of the standard of heaven. You're God's ambassador in that place. Please represent him well. Please represent him with an excellent spirit. Where did Daniel find this strength? Where did he find this strength? Here. You know, you and I are not smart enough. We're not clever enough. We don't have it together enough to fix what's going on out there. But here is where the answers are given. The amount of times I've come up against a wall and I've felt the Spirit of God say, you haven't taken it to prayer yet. Bring it to me in prayer. Before you go at getting advice, before you start trying to figure it out, come to me. And when I do, the downloads come. Daniel found his answers here in a discipline of prayer. And I pray that when you come against a wall, you'll remember a blonde woman kneeling on a stage telling you to pray because this is where the strategies come. This is where the answers come. Did Jesus win the battle for our salvation on the cross? I sometimes wonder if he didn't win it in Golgotha when he was sweating drops of blood and he had to overcome his own limitations. It's only when we can win the battle on our knees that we can stand and then win the battle in the natural. It all happens in prayer, it all happens in the supernatural. We gain our strength there. That's where we find our answers. And the next thought, so we live a life of excellence, We also live a life of conviction. Daniel lived by conviction. You need to know what you believe. And you need to be set in what you believe. Because Babylon out there is going to try to teach you all sorts of things. So you need to live by convictions. And there are two thoughts within this. And the first one is... Honour your previous commitments and the second one is set yourself apart. Your convictions, listen, need to outweigh your fears. Do you know what I've said for twenty something years is do it afraid. Do what afraid? Do your convictions afraid. Let your convictions outweigh your fears. People look at me and go, man, you're so confident. If you only knew the degree of fear that I fight to do what I do, I've just come to a place where my convictions speak way louder to me than my fears do. I turn back to what I believe. And Daniel had pre-existing commitments regarding his diet, and so he stuck to it. Honour your commitments. Let your yes be yes. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Affirm yes or no. Saying anything more than that comes from the devil. Let your yes be yes and your no, no be no Do you know commitments commitments actually define you Your ability to honor previous commitments when things get tough is what builds grit into your life It's what earns your stripes When everything gets hard and you stick to your commitments that's when you build a backbone. That's when steel is put in your spine. Is when you have every right not to do what you once did. Stick to it. You know, when, when you've had a rubbish week and you don't want to honor the Kresh roster, is exactly when you should honor the Kresh roster when you don't want to honour the roster on the door is exactly when you should honour the roster on the door. Honour your previous commitments because that's where integrity is. That's where character is. That's where credibility is. That's where your walk with God is strengthened. That's where you say to the culture of the world, no, 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 my convictions outweigh convenience, preference, option, Let your yes be yes. And the other thing is, in convictions, is that you need to set yourself apart. You need to set yourself apart. To be a redemptive solution in Babylon, you need to set yourself apart from Babylon. You can speak into a culture that you're different from. If you're exactly the same, you have nothing to offer the conversation. You need to set yourself apart. Many years ago, again, when we were in youth ministry, Sam and I made a commitment that we would never touch alcohol. As long as we were ministering to young people, we would not touch a drop of alcohol. We, we had this situation where this young person, grade eight, wrote himself off at a party, blind drunk at a party. And when asked about it, he said, well, I saw a picture on, and back then it was MySpace. Does anyone remember MySpace? It's the equivalent of Facebook these days, right? Right. <laughs> well, I saw a picture on MySpace of my life group leader holding a beer at a party. So we pulled this life group leader in and I was like, that's really unlike your character. And he said, oh, my gosh. And we were at the same party. It was a wedding reception. And he goes, I literally held that bottle for my friend for five minutes, two minutes while he went to the bathroom. Someone snapped a photo, and it ended up, I'm in the background holding a bottle of beer. And my life group kids saw it and took that as license. I remember being at schoolies, Danny. And getting a call to a room where a girl was hyperventilating. And she'd taken too much alcohol and then met some random guy in the corridor who handed her a pill. And because she was intoxicated and her judgment was out the window, she took a pill from a guy she didn't know. And I was literally on my knees with her head in my lap, covered in her vomit. And she stopped breathing in my arms. A grade nine girl in our youth ministry was blind drunk at a party and unfortunately taken advantage of by a group of young boys at that party. We decided we would not touch a thing in Babylon that destroyed young lives. And do you know what? There's a reason God uses people like Daniel. There's a reason God used people like Sam and I, people who actually decide to set themselves apart for the sake of a culture that is desperately in need of a redemptive solution. You know, today I often see not only drug and alcohol abuse and all the promiscuity that goes around in the world, I wonder whether, whether we could have a group of young men and women who even stay away from online gaming because it leads to pornography and dysfunction. You might be able to handle it, but it's destroying a generation. What are the things in Babylon that are destroying Babylon? And Babylon's saying, you have to eat from this table. And you're saying, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't care if I'm the only one that doesn't eat that. I'm setting myself apart. The enemy is relentlessly trying to get you into a place of compromise. And he has so many tactics, but they're all the same. His tactics boil down to one of two approaches. He'll tell you, if you do it God's way, you'll miss out. If you don't eat off the king's table, you're gonna be gone and deprived. Or if you do it God's way, we'll hurt you and throw you into the lion's den. It's always one of two things. He's either holding out on you or you're being threatened. Threat after threat after threat. Do you know none of that matters when you know whose hand your life is in. When you get a revelation of the God that you serve, the fear of missing out or the fear of danger. Daniel knew that although he served a natural king, ultimately he was answering to the king above all kings. That's what gives us the power to live by conviction. When our lives are in God's hands and we know it, when we're alive to Christ and dead to self, Romans 6 says, now if we have died with Christ, We believe that we will also live together with Him. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin and your relationship to it is broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with Him and Jesus Christ. In Christ, you are always victorious. The root of intimidation is in the fear of man. What will they say? What will they do? But when your identity is rooted in God, it disarms your need for human validation. I was just reading about it this morning in the Gospels where they're trying to kill Jesus because he spoke the truth. I mean, this guy went around healing everybody, providing miraculously. He speaks the truth and they wanna kill him. (laughs) Guys, why are we so surprised when the culture doesn't like what we have to say? Is the reason we're holding back because we're afraid of what the culture will say? Is your need for identity rooted in man or God? Because when it's rooted in God, it disarms your need to be validated by anyone else. He's the one we serve. He's the one we serve, the amazing philosopher, Dr. Seuss. Yes, are you ready, Max? Do you know this one? He said this, be who you are and say what you feel. Those who mind don't matter, and those who matter don't mind. I've found this to be true in my life over and over again. Daniel had favor with kings. But conflict with peers. Oh Lord. There's another saying you'll never soar with eagles as long as you're scratching around with chooks. Can I tell you, often the ones who have all the opinions about you and what you're doing are doing absolutely nothing with their lives. They're intimidated by your strength, your conviction, your passion. You make them uneasy because they're not willing to sell out the way that you have. They want to bring you down to their level because you are confronting to them. But do you know what I've found? (laughs) Is that my superiors come to my defense in those times. I've noticed that people who've done great exploits in their lives... Whether they're Christians or not, they understand a person with conviction because they have conviction. So, my trouble often hasn't been this way, it's often been this way. And I want to challenge you don't worry about them. Serve the God above all other gods, the King above all other kings. Live in a conviction that says, you know what, you're my ultimate authority. They can say what they want, they can throw me in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can throw us in the fiery furnace. Our God is willing to save, and even if He doesn't, we won't bow down. Even if He doesn't, I'm not going to compromise because my conviction outweighs my fears. Think big, be excellent, be courageous. Don't major on the minors. Don't let small thinking men and women intimidate you and shrink you. Be who God has called you to be. God has a plan for culture and you're it. (laughs) You're it. Daniel was the answer. You're the answer to our culture. He's looking for uncompromising vessels that he can flow through. He'll uphold you if you commit yourself into his hands. Knowing God makes us strong and able to do great exploits. Listen to this as we close. Daniel 11. Those who do wickedly against the covenant will be corrupted with flattery. They're easily swayed. But the people who know their God will be strong and carry out great exploits. I wanna carry out great exploits in my life. I want great exploits to be attributed to my name. I wanna be someone who doesn't just point out problems but brings redemptive solutions. I wanna be known as a builder. I wanna be known as a shaker. I wanna be known as someone who builds hope and future and the kingdom of God into my generation. I wanna be someone who's not gonna be pulled down or intimidated or limited. I wanna be someone who moves beyond her fears and lives by the Word of God and the calling on my life. I want to, as the apostles wrote, to live a life worthy of the call of God on my life. <laughs> but you know what? You may be here tonight and you're saying, well, I've already compromised. I've, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. But do you know there's a redemptive solution to that? And that is handing your life over to Jesus completely, completely. Yes, it may be scary. It'll take some big decisions and some big results. It may mean standing alone and being alone for a little while, but with Him, you plus God are a majority. Step into it. Step over the line of fear and mediocrity into the things of God. Be Daniel in your generation. Thank you for listening. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. This is the beginning of a life changing journey. We encourage you to tell someone about your decision and pray and read the Bible every day. We also recommend attending a church in your local area. We have many City Point church services across Brisbane and the world this Sunday. You can find out more about our service times and locations at citypointchurch.com. We are so excited to see you there.